I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast by the Takshashila Institution. We are a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like bringing fresh perspectives to Indian affairs and Indian perspectives to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello, and welcome to All Things Policy. My name is Rohan Seth. and i have with me today pratik fagre and atish padi we are here to talk about uh, something that's actually been on the news uh, since january but seems to have fizzled out a bit recently see when twitter and facebook removed donald trump from their platform it started a whole conversation on whether or not deplatforming was actually an effective method uh, of moderating speech and if there were better methods available see because whether deplatforming is effective in moderating extremism or just temporarily drives it out of you to intensify and potentially cause even more harm is a bit of a debate and in this podcast i think we are going to try and look at different solutions or different methods of um, achieving similar goals so uh, atish let's start with you can you give me a little overview on what broader ways what maybe better ways there are to manage harmful speech so there are many problems uh, as you identified with how these platforms operate and the kinds of speech they allow so in my reading and what i've come across is there are many different ways that these platforms themselves have adopted uh, in trying to regulate them right so for example they are trying very hard to bring in new automation tools that automatically identifies harmful content that they can take down then there is this phenomenon of them creating their own legal standards uh, with like you can call it twitter law facebook law or whatever where their own community standards are the law of the land within that platform and whatever violates it is taken down now a lot of people do not think that is a very good way of regulating speech because a lot of speech that is legal in under the constitution of different democratic countries is pushed offline because it does not abide by the community standards of a particular platform and in the united states for example there has been a lot of attempt at labeling a lot of the speech that is removed as being biased against conservatives so conservatives are censored according to a lot of them on the other hand uh, there are there are approaches being taken where they are trying to mandate these platforms as public spheres of some sort such that you will have to retain every single piece of content that is out there so that no sort of speech can be removed and that also comes with its own set of implications right and there are also re- related problems that come from the problems that uh, social media companies and platforms present go beyond speech regulation also right there are problems of competition uh, which are also many are trying to solve through antitrust and by breaking up a company those are some proposals where you say that a company like facebook or google should be broken down so that say youtube and google search are separated for example and that is an approach that is happening on a company level which ignores the fact that a lot of these products are have monopolistic power or are as dominant as they are not because not simply because they are part of a big company but also because of the inherent network effects within it so you need like more of a specific product level 
intervention in order to ensure that uh, such anti-competitive practices are stopped or that there are better competition, there's better competition happening. So we, so I think Pratik identified a lot of good approaches that fall in between these two uh, extremes where on one end, for example, you have Twitter law or community standards being the way in which you regulate uh, content on, and on the other hand, you have something like uh, no content should be taken down. And in, and these in-between solutions are, he refers to them as unbundling by different names because all of them are very similar in their approach where they try to unbundle many different features that platforms so far are packaging as one. So today, I think uh, we'll be discussing all of these unbundling structures bundled together. And I'm sorry if you're going to make that joke later, Pratik, but uh, a lot of them are very similar. And we'll be looking at how uh, they are different from each other uh, in subtle ways. But the broader question is how these approaches might be more effective than just looking at it within the binary of removal of content or keeping it up. Can I can I also just add that um, Pratik, of course, has an excellent newsletter that is uh, called Miss Dismal Information. It's, it's of course subscribed by and read regularly by everyone on this podcast. But uh, this time, he he talks about um, methods like magic APIs, protocols, not platforms, uh, comparative compatibility, middleware, and so on. And these are all fascinating solutions. Their second order effects are even more fascinating. Um, so Pratik, this podcast is sort of tailored for you. So, so tell us why they are different, and yeah, yeah. No, and, and just to add it, I think the the phrase unbundling is not something that that I coined. I've, I've borrowed it from uh, Daphne Keller, who proposed the magic API solution, right? Uh, and yeah, so and to take a step back, right? essentially, as, as Artish said, right, these proposals sort of fall in between the various uh, approaches you have today, uh, and you know, try to address some of the contradictions that that, that you know that you have between free speech and competition, right? Uh, because you, you want to ensure that, uh, you, you want to ensure that, you know, the marketplace is competitive. You want to ensure that all harmful speech is taken down, but you also want to ensure that people's freedom of speech, freedom, freedom of expression uh, is not affected, right? And that, that's where uh, these approaches uh, sort of come in and approach it from, from different perspectives, right? So the first of these is, uh, is called Magic API, which as I said, in, proposed by, by Daphne Keller. And she sort of approaches it from the perspective of telecommunication unbundling requirements, right? Uh, and, and just to quote, I think the the, the relevant line, which is uh, the idea is to insert competition in markets which are subject to network effects by requiring incumbents to license hard to duplicate resources to newcomers. And you take that ex- approach and you extend it to uh, to platforms, right? To, to your to your Facebook, Twitter, etc. And you're basically, in a sense, telling them to make the make their the information, their data, etc., that they have available to other to to newcomers in, in the space, right? And the way you potentially go about doing that is you'll have to build out APIs, uh, and this is a complex process technically. Hence, they would be you know magic APIs, right? I think that's where the uh, that that's where the term comes from, uh, and it throws up a lot of questions, right? And and we'll we'll I think we'll get into that. Uh, the the other solution is is posed by Mike Masnick, who's the editor of uh, founder editor of Tech Dirt. Right, uh, and this uh, this is called protocols not platforms, uh, and the idea here is uh, so the the vision right uh, that 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 he had was essentially to take 
thought, take the internet back to its earlier days where it operated mostly on, you know, on different protocols rather than centralized platforms, right? Uh, and the approach here is uh, to unbundle things to the extent that, you know, in its most ambitious vision, right? It would be, things would be unbundled to the extent that users have access to their own, to their own data stored in blobs, right? And then different uh, services are able to access this uh, and offer you services uh, on top of that, right? So it's sort of like moving away from your centralized monolithic platform that we have today uh, and into different uh, protocols that uh, that interact with, with each other, right? So, it, you know, in a sense, you can think of it as tending towards the decentralized web, right? At least that's how that's how I interpreted it. Uh, then the uh, the third one is is competitive compatibility. Uh, I guess you can, you can call it artist formerly known as adversarial uh, interoperability, uh, and this is something that Cory Doctorow has been talking about, talking about a lot uh, as special advisor to the EFF. And in in this case, right, the approach is it's at, it's at two levels. So at at one level, you're saying you, you're asking for you know for there to be mandates for interoperability so that you know. Companies have to make sure that you know your, your larger platforms have to make sure that smaller that competitors are able to to plug into them and use and use their platform to offer you know adjacent services as such. But they also make he also makes the distinction that the interoperability mandate should not be the ceiling, rather it's the floor. It's the it's the minimum uh, that's required, and the ceiling should be you know it, it should be removing any sort of anti circumvention. Uh, mandates that uh, a number of laws have, and this is—I think this is still largely, you know, US-centric. I'm a little unsure of how this plays out in in the legal set, uh, in, you know, in the legal context in India. But you know, since we're talking about global platforms, uh, it, it's worth uh, it's worth exploring. And the fourth solution is middleware, and that's been proposed by a working group on platform scale at, at Stanford University. Uh, and Francis Fukuyama has written about this, uh, you know, extensively as well uh, as part of that. Uh, Working group and middleware it, it, it borrows from you know the term borrows from the OS operating system concept of a of a middleware which is essentially operate you know of offering a common set of services to in, you know in that context it says to offer serv- a common set of services to uh, enable functionalities that an operating system may not have uh, in this case again it goes back to the whole unbundling uh, approach that uh, that Atish also referred to. Uh, which is essentially like saying, look, you're on Twitter, but you know today there's just one algorithm on Twitter and Twitter decides how to sort your feed. Yes, you can sort between a reverse chronological and an uh, algorithmic one that's tailored to your interest, but but that's that's basically it, right? Uh, and in the middleware solution, you know, similar to the other solutions, you, the idea is that you have uh, a, a different bunch of, I guess, you know, operators, providers, you call them whatever you want, also giving you the ability to potentially moderate your content in in different ways, right? To filter your content uh, in different ways, and again, not all of them restricted just to just to your you know your your feed sorting, but also to things like who you'd be able to follow, etc. And things like that. So it's, and the essentially, right? The idea is you're you're look, taking at you know you're, you're looking at all the functions that a social media platform offers you today, uh, and you're saying, okay, who controls this, right? It's just it's the platform itself. And what these solutions try to get at through different approaches is trying to take the you know the central element of platform control out of that and essentially open that up to to other people or to other providers or operators etc who can then I guess you know differentiate it 
for for end users. Uh, okay, uh, I must confess, I feel like uh, I feel obligated to talk about Twitter Blue Sky over here, if only because this seems a little bit in the same lane. So, so can you talk about what? Okay, let's explain what Twitter Blue Sky is first, and then could you talk about how it's different from the solutions that are being proposed? So, Twitter Blue Sky actually is not significantly different, right? And uh, in fact, it's uh, now I, I haven't gone through the technical proposal of that, but uh, at you know, uh, and Jack Dorsey referred to this last in one of the quarterly earning call. But the the approach is is uh, similar in the sense that uh, they want the ability for you know they want the ability so that for the algorithm to be so you know to, your feed to be sorted by different algorithms, right? Not just uh, Twitter's central uh, centralized approach uh, that is today. Uh, I think it's still very much in its, its in its early stages, and I, you know and if I recall correctly, in the in one of the Twitter threads that Kaushik did about it, he acknowledged I think. Uh, the protocols or platform approach also, right? So it, it seems to be, it, it is certainly inspired by these, by a, a number of these, these approaches. But yeah, you know, and while it is operated by, and I think it, you know, it's been worked on by an independent set of engineers right now, uh, funded by Twitter. It's certainly interesting to keep, to keep an eye out for. But at this point, at least I am looking at it as, you know, as a Twitter solution, right? Uh, as opposed to these others, which are not solutions by a specific platform. But yeah, I, you know, I, I think you're right to bring that up uh, as, as something that we should uh, keep an eye out, out on in parallel. Also, Pratik, uh, I wanted to talk about how uh, a little bit of difference in these approaches in the sense of who they are intending to target, right? And you identify this in your research also. So uh, it seems to me that the Magic API, the middleware and the uh, compatibility one uh, are even though they're not explicitly maybe mentioned the big tech companies, they are more concerned with the bigness aspect of it, right? And are concerned with the fact that these companies have neo-monopolistic power and there is not enough competition. But something like the protocols not platform is a much more universal vision where the author is uh, arguing that we need to go back to, you need to make a very fundamental shift in the way we think of the internet such that we go back to the internet as it used to be. And therefore, this would this would apply even beyond these big companies. And I think that's where also this blue sky conversation becomes interesting because Twitter is, in fact, doing this in order to maybe compete against Facebook because Facebook is much, much larger than it. So is that a fair distinction to make? And also on the basis of how deep they go in regulating, uh, on, on how deep they go in whether or not they're regulation-based. Because once again, I think here, protocols, not platforms, is entirely a tech-first, market-driven solution, while the others seem to rely more or less on some sort of uh, regulatory uh, handling or some sort of legal backing where the state has to get involved in some way. Uh, are those fair distinctions to make, Priti? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think, you know, you, you are right about that, right? In terms of the regulatory approach, I, I think that 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 is spot on. Although you know, so I think in in the case of competitive compatibility, it's fairly obvious. Right? It explicitly says that uh, there needs to be a data protection law to mandate uh, that you know when you open this when you open these up through uh, through interoperability requirements uh, that the data is not abused uh, by you, right? And you need to have a data 
data protection uh, mechanism uh, or uh, regime in place. Uh, and also in the sense that, look, if if you want to do away with anti-circumvention regulation, then you have to go and amend uh, existing laws and make sure that they're written in such a way that uh, they can't be gamed, right? Uh, they can't be gamed, uh, which, you know, which any self-interested large corporation is likely to do. Right? I think that's just how, how, how they'd approach uh, they'd approach the world, right? Uh, in the case of magic APIs, uh, yes, I think she does draw a reference to uh, you know to, to, to the to telecommunication requirement as well. Right? So there is certainly that uh, that approach of uh, uh, regulation. in In the middleware, uh, in the middleware uh, approach, they're a little more, you know, I, I think they're more interested in the fact that you have this uh, ability to uh, to make these. Uh, different uh, providers uh, function on top of a platform, they're not necessarily concerned with how you get there, right? Yeah, if regulation is required, yes, go ahead and do that. If the platform themselves open up to an extent where they allow this to happen, yes, go ahead and do that, right? But they, they've not explicitly advocated for uh, regulation. They, they seem to be more interested in the means, uh, sorry, in the ends rather than the means. Right. Yeah. That's... All right. Can we Can we talk about Facebook a little bit here? Because of course, um, Twitter and Facebook are, have very different platforms, have a have a bunch of different user bases. How does this? What is the second order effect of maybe maybe the magic APIs, and how does that sort of impact Twitter differently, and how does it impact Facebook differently? So, magic APIs are basically licensing hard to duplicate resources, right, to newcomers in the market, yeah. uh, so that network effects are not a problem. Now, of course, Facebook licensing its APIs is, I guess, network effects. Um, I'm not sure I have this question right, but their network effects are harder to beat. So even if they license the API, what what exactly does that mean? Does it mean that people can log on to their own website and have Facebook's network with them? Or does it mean that, um, I don't know, that people can log on to Twitter's website and uh, and have Twitter's user base? Uh, but be using a different app. Does that make sense in any way? Okay, yeah, I, I, I think I get it, right? And, and again, uh, I, so it, it's, all, it's important to consider that, okay, look, these all these solutions or proposals are not meant to be mutually exclusive, right? They will they, they will overlap uh, in some way, and in some cases, they complement each other. So you know, without restricting specifically to one of, uh, one type of proposal, I, you know, the, uh, I think none of them exclude that possibility, right? I think they're, they're all open to the sense that, so the end goal is basically to have, to rest away, you know, control of what you do on these social on these social networks from the social network itself, right? Uh, now, whether it is that you log into Facebook and you have a whole bunch of uh, different versions of Facebook to choose from, uh, you know, on Facebook's portal itself, or you have the ability to go to a completely different provider that's then tapping into your, uh, your Facebook graph and providing you either the same set of services or, or building on top of that. I think none of them explicitly either include or exclude those possibilities. Uh, but the central idea is essentially to say that, uh, look, we're in a situation today where, you know, these platforms have control over, complete control over what you see, right? Uh, and there are these conflicting requirements on them. One, you know, to uh, to address harmful speech uh, yet we know that uh, you know just deplatforming right? as you introduce this conversation, right? As just deplatforming one particular user or a group of users or people who believe in one particular conspiracy theory 
does not completely eradicate that belief. Right? Those those things still remain. So it's about then trying to find the you know that balance between competition and, and free speech. Right? That's ultimately where the whole comes to. So so this brings me to to the privacy concerns that arise from adopting one or maybe more of these solutions. So Pratik Atish, talk to me about which one of these is the most privacy focused of all um, solutions and uh, how this impacts privacy differently from the status quo. Yeah, so uh, from what I understand of these approaches, it seems that something like competitive compatibility, which explicitly mentions that you need to have some guidelines uh, uh, and they say a federal privacy mandate, which no one can be allowed to uh, break, either existing big players or players trying to make their systems interoperable, right? And similarly, uh, in the Magic APIs section also, Daphne Keller explicitly mentions that there seem to be many privacy concerns with it because the example that she gives in which uh, the content of uh, Facebook content, which is legal, will be shared across different platforms, that by itself raises big privacy concerns. So these two are rather clearer, while the other two approaches uh, like protocols, not platforms and middleware is uh, a little more difficult to to predict on this basis because they don't explicitly mention privacy or what laws there should be to protect privacy. Uh, so I think those two are more difficult to gauge out. Yeah, and, and if I can if I can add, right? Uh, so I think in the protocols, not platforms, uh, in the most ambitious uh, version of it, uh, the idea is that you know every user will have their data in their own blogs, right? Uh, so that uh, you, you know a platform will need to specifically uh, request for access to it, or any of these other providers or operators building on top of the platform will need to will need to request access for it. So in that sense trying to put in ultimate control in, in the hands of the user. Right? In the middleware uh, approach, uh, again, as Atish mentioned, I don't think there's a specific uh, specific reference, but uh, my inference, right, based on, on reading that is, uh, and since they, uh, since they mentioned that, you know, with this approach, platforms will be able to retain their uh, current business models, my inference is that they seem to have, they seem to take a, a more status quo approach than, uh, than the other, right? In 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 Magic API, I think Daphne Kellers she does highlight some of the issues that this that will bring up, right? Uh, and the more fundamental question of data ownership, right? Which is uh, if you like your friend's post on on Facebook, who owns that data? Is it your data? Is it your friend's data? Right? Uh, is your is the con- contact information that you know or, or your friend list? Is it your data? Is it Facebook's data? Is it your friend's data, etc. Right? So these these questions. Uh, it'll throw up these challenges, right? But I also think we're at a point where we anyway have to solve, we anyway have to answer these questions as part of uh, any sort of uh, uh, data regulation regime uh, we enact and how it will build on, you know, over the years. I think these quest- these questions, these hard questions are something we'll have to tackle and get to anyway. Right. And Pratik, there are also uh, other concerns with these uh, four approaches, right? For example, from my reading, I most of these approaches do not also explicitly mention how the business model will work because they because these are rather fundamental changes and they will mean that the uh, companies will have to change the business model significantly. 
but those are not explicitly mentioned. Is that a correct reading? No, to to some extent they are right. Uh, they are and, and oh look, so that that remains that that certainly going to be one of the challenges, right? Uh, I think in in Magic APIs, particular refers to the complication that a revenue sharing model will you know will invite because how do you split revenue over 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 ads in in this context? That's that's going to be a a, a pretty thorny issue to 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 get by. Uh, in the competitive compatibility one, yes, I think there's there's no specific prescription. Uh, I think in middleware, they talk about potentially a revenue sharing, or even you know one of these middleware solutions themselves, either offering uh, offering themselves as a subscription based service, or then serving ads, right? Which again, you have to question then what that does for uh, underlying incentives uh, in 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 that sense. Uh, protocol that platform is, is Fairly interesting. I think he he acknowledges Mike Mathey acknowledges that the problem with the you know with the protocols of the earlier years, and one of the reasons they sort of faded into the background was the fact that they didn't have a uh, didn't have a business model. Right. And I think he comes at this comes at this from from two ends uh, in the sense that if users have their data stored in stored in blobs, then there could be uh, a reverse auction type mechanism uh, where you know, these different protocols are bidding for access to that data or different protocols or platforms are bidding for that uh, information. But again, you don't know, that that doesn't address the question of how those services themselves will, you know, will, will generate revenue. Uh, one of the other things that he talks about is potentially taking a, a token-based approach, right? Analogous to your, your cryptocurrencies where the protocol itself has a token associated with it. And then as more people use uh, a particular pro- protocol, it the value of its, the, uh, you know, the perceived value of the token rises and its valuation rises. Uh, but that remains, I think, uh, you know, a, a challenge, right, across all, all these approaches. Uh, because if it's if it's revenue sharing, then there is still a dependency on uh, on platforms, right? Uh, and if they're trying to serve their own ads, then you have, again some of the underlying incentives of trying to collect, trying to collect and harness user data. Uh, don't change, right? In fact, you're, you're splitting them across a different, a wider set of actors, essentially. Right. And uh, finally, in your newsletter, you also identify some of the broader questions that uh, arise from these. And one that I found very interesting was how some of the larger structural problems uh, that result in many of the side effects that we witness uh, from social media proliferation, like uh, misinformation, uh, and the entire information disorder uh, phenomenon, or uh, other problems of hate speech that arise, a lot of these structural problems are not addressed. Would you want to throw some light on that? Yeah. So again, that that's my interpretation, right? I, and as you said, right, uh, the the issue that we have in the information ecosystem today is it's not just it's not limited to platform, right? You, it's uh, it's an interplay of how people consume information, how you know news news media themselves report, uh, amplify uh, certain types of content, how political actors play a role in it, right? So all of these, all of these play together, right? And to some extent, Kate Starbird calls this the participatory disinformation model, or what she used to earlier call disinformation as collaborative work, right? Uh, but again, if if you take it just outside the context of just disinformation, which coming in from an intent perspective. Just in the fact that look, there is there are these skewed incentives all over the information ecosystem, right? 
it it doesn't it it may it you know any of these approaches will not will not address all of those and to be fair none of them are actually claiming to you know to being able to address all of them uh, i think you know, so i think i think we have, we have to give it give all of them that right none of them are cl- claiming to solve all these problems but those are things that you know i think uh, we as specifically as uh, as policy thinkers need to think about uh, as society that we that we need to approach there is there is one specific problem though, and one criticism that a lo- lot of them have that these solutions have uh, got is that uh, look if if you're creating the essentially these specialized algorithm that people will use to sort their feeds there is a potential to make you know to to worsen the filter bubbles that that we have right now again th- there is there is a lot of debate on uh, the strength and the influence of filter bubbles uh, but you know you can you you can force you know you can to a reasonable degree predict that you know users may self sort themselves based on uh, certain types of content that that they may want they may want to consume uh, and that that remains the challenge i think um, most of them take the approach that uh, take the view that in a non centralized system some of this will be so diffused uh, that it ultimately that it ultimately may not matter right uh, i don't necessarily share that optimism uh, but it's also you know you also then have to look at it compare it with the existing binary which is you know either leave everything up or take everything down or deplatform them uh, you know which is where the conversation are today or whether we can try to uh, explore solutions somewhere in, in between and right? which is essentially what what they are doing yeah and similarly one of the other things that i think uh, should also be mentioned is to what extent these solutions and other solutions that we regularly discuss affect the most uh, in my view the most pernicious effect of Uh, many of these platforms, which is the behavioral changes it makes in us, right? So the extent of addictability, as someone that is off on social media half the day, I can I can say that that is one of the problems that I think is the most fundamental, and yet it is one that it's it is not clear how you can solve them through any of these approaches or through any policy approach at all, and I think that also needs to be discussed very much. All right, great. Thank you both so much. I think this has been a fascinating conversation. We will, of course, catch you in the next one, dear listener. Uh, and thanks, Pratik and Aadish, for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at Takshashila Inst or our website takshashila.org.in. Hey hey it's been another great week on the IVM podcast network on all things policy ananya desai and rohan pai discuss recurrent bans on fireworks during festive seasons in india and discuss possible solutions to tackle india's air pollution problem on the habit coach podcast ashton doctor welcomes sahil mehta an esteemed mountaineer and author of the book break free Sahil shares a transformative experience which became the catalyst for embracing discipline and fulfillment. The episode explores the profound impact of vulnerability on personal growth. 
Folks, if you like our shows, do spread the word. Tell your friends and don't forget to rate and review them wherever you're listening to them. Follow us on social media. We are IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. You'll also find all our shows on YouTube at youtube.com slash IVM Podcasts. And finally, we would like to thank our sponsors this week. Omidyar Network India, Abbott, IDFC First Bank and Save Life Foundation. Thank you for making this possible.